Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett is joined by CBS Sports Radio personality, Rich Herrera, and New York Times writer and best-selling author, Tyler Kepner, as they recap the 2022 MLB season and make predictions for this year's postseason. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome, everybody, to the Boone Podcast. I'm Rich Rare. I am not Brett Boone. I'm a host of CBS Sports Radio and a friend of Brett, but I'm going to be the host for the Boone Podcast today as we look at the 2022 postseason. Now, our guest today is the author of the Boone Podcast, Brett Boone. Brett, how are you? Rich, I'm doing well. How's that seat? It's a How's- little uncomfortable. It's a little, the, the shoes are a little big to fill. Yeah, but I, I think you'll I, I think you'll make it make it look just fine, Rich. I'm going to do my best. God willing, to help the team. Now to break down the postseason and the season that we just saw finish in Major League Baseball, we also have a New York Times writer, best-selling author Tyler Kepner joining us here on the Boone Podcast. Tyler, how are you? I'm I'm great, guys. It's uh, it's fun to be with you. All right, so we're going to ostensibly be talking about. Lead, the the lead up to the World Series now, Tyler. You've got a new book out uh, again, Boone. We're we're kind of we're, we're hanging out with greatness because Tyler, best selling author. We can't say that about uh, you or me or Dan Levy, but Tyler's a best selling author. He has a new book coming out, The Grandest Stage, which is uh, about the postseason, the World Series. It's available for pre order on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Tyler, tell me about the book. Well, it's a, it's a history of the World Series. It's not a chronology. I felt like that would be kind of boring, just go year by year, right? Be a year. That's been done. Um, I wanted to be able to tell a lot of the stories behind the stories um, to give a lot of uh, texture and maybe some fun uh, background to some stuff that maybe you only thought you knew. Um, you know, everybody knows that Kirk Gibson hit a home run to, to win a World Series game, and, and Booney was there with tickets from uh, Tommy Lasorda. But um, <laughs> but uh, but not everybody maybe remembers what set it up, and that was a two-out walk to Mike Davis by Dennis Eckersley. So I talked to Eckersley, and, you know, who's still dismayed at, at that, and I talked to Mike Davis about what it was like to come up there as the potential last out of game one and to draw a walk um, to get on base to set up um, so I talked to old World Series heroes, past and present. Um, I reach all the way back to uh, Carl Erskine from the 40s and 50s with the Brooklyn Dodgers, all the way to the current day. Um, talked to some of the 1980 heroes who Brett uh, rode the float with, uh, uh, Del Unser and Mike Schmidt and uh, Marty Bystrom and some, you know, some, it kind of gives you a little slice. Talked to a Hall of Famer and also some of the unsung heroes. Uh so I try to, you know, I have a chapter on managing um, some of the controversial or, or uh, you know, interesting managerial uh, decisions in World Series play. Um, I have a chapter on general manager, uh, being a general manager for a World Series team and how you put together the right group. Um, chapter on what it's like to fail on the big stage, how to handle the pressure of the big stage. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a seven sided look. I like to call it um, at uh, the most wonderful time of the year. I, I've always loved the world series and uh, it's kind of a product of my passion for the event. Well, it's gotta be fascinating. Booney, uh, you appeared at one world series with the, with the Atlanta Braves. Was there anything ever in your life that'll come close to that moment of game one of the world series standing along the chalk? Well, you know, there's a few times each year, Rich, that that a athlete, and I don't care how long you've been playing this game. You know, it seems the longer you go, oh well, you've you've been there, done this so many times. I'd always be be nervous that first day, that first at bat, get it out of the way. Uh, and all, if if you were fortunate enough to go to the All Star game, you always wanted to, it, not necessarily get a hit, but just don't embarrass yourself. Same things goes for the postseason. The thing I remember about that '99 World Series wasn't Game One; it was Game Three. And we were at Yankee Stadium, and I had played in Yankee Stadium uh, countless times, but it was different that night. I was I was warming up at old Yankee Stadium on the sidelines, getting my sprints in, and something came over me, and it was like, 
All right, I'm somewhere pretty special where a lot of things have happened in this game. As an athlete, as a veteran athlete, usually that doesn't happen to you too often, but that happened to me. Once I got through that first at bat at Yankee Stadium, I was fine again, but you definitely knew you were somewhere special. Uh, Tyler, the book is called The Grandest Stage. How did you figure out what was going to make it and what wasn't going to make it? I mean, as a broadcaster, I know we've had so many big moments, whether it's it's Jack Buck saying, we'll see you tomorrow night, whether it's whether it's uh, the late Tom Cheek saying, you know, Joe, touch them all and you'll never have a bigger home run than that. I mean, there's so many different iconic moments. How did you figure out what was going to make it into the book? Yeah, I tried to make sure that most of the big – most of the big things that you know of um, are in there somewhere, um, but not you know not exactly just a, a recitation of, of what happened. Kind of, like I said, kind of like a a look, maybe a little deeper, or either through research or through interviews um, to kind of illuminate some of the things that that you maybe thought you knew. And I have a I have a chapter where I go through um, kind of you know chronologically some of the most famous um, moments and events and and give you a, a look. Uh, at, the, at what happened behind the scenes, like, you know, the 1919 Black Sox scandal. Well, it turns out, you know, when you research it, that the Cincinnati Reds were a better team anyway. Um, you know, so I get into the Reds, who the Reds were. Um, I get into the, the called shot, you know, by Babe Ruth. Like, what about the pitcher who gave it up? And did he really, did Babe Ruth really stand there and point over the center field fence? Because in those days, uh, any any pitcher, you know, with, with any kind of self-respect would would brush him back a little bit. It wouldn't stand for that. Um, and, and how that impacted the life of that pitcher, Charlie Root, um, the rest of his life. So, and then you get into more modern times, uh, you know, where I, 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 the Joe Carter home run, the Bill Mazeroski home run, and some of the some of the stories behind that that you may not know. So yeah, you know it, it was it was tough to to pick and choose, um, but fortunately, you know I was able to to get a lot of uh, the people I wanted to talk with on the phone, and and by sort of putting it into to ideas and topics rather than just um, specifically what happened. Um, going into more about why it happened, um, I was able to kind of narrow it down a little bit. But there's still a whole chapter at the end with just like odds and ends and just kind of fun random stuff, uh, you know, about national anthems and about uh, the MVPs that that never were, you know, because they never gave it out till '55. Uh, you know, there's a lot of just random stuff that I couldn't really get into a, uh, you know, get into a chapter. I have a fun chapter in the back of all of lists and little uh, odds and ends. So I think there'll be something for everybody in it. Tyler, I got a question for you on the, yeah. did, did you cover uh, Madison Bumgarner in that run he had um, with the giants? Yes. And he was fabulous. You know, I talked to him in spring training in uh, 2020, right before everything shut down, actually um, when he was with Arizona and he kind of pulled me to the center of the room because he didn't want to sound boastful. You know, he's, he's, he's a, he's a quiet guy. Um, but I, I, I've come to really like him. I, I think he's a smart guy and he doesn't like to, uh, you know, doesn't like to brag. And so when I was asking about how he handles the, the pressure, um, you know, how he's able to be the best version of himself time after time, um, you know, he, he, he put me into the, the, the center of the clubhouse where people weren't congregating just to tell me sort of his, his mental secrets, you know, his, his tricks of, of how he was able to be that best version and, and, and in some ways kind of elevate um, his game. So he's, he's how I ended the, uh, that chapter on pressure, because to me, I mean, not just to me, really, it's, it's a fact. He's the best pitcher in world series history. Um, and to be able to get inside his mind a little bit um, to have him, let me, let me, uh, let me in on some of his, his mental secrets. That was, that was really cool. And on the podcast, we've had so many World Series uh, icons and heroes from Reggie Jackson uh, all the way through uh, guys that really left their mark in the postseason and made it the Fall Classic. I can't wait uh, to to read the book. It's called The Grandest Stage. It's available now to pre-order Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Did you touch on? I'll, I'll ask since Booney asked about one. I got one for you. How about the 2008 World Series? I was a broadcaster for the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, we ended up having to sit in Delaware for a couple of days and weren't sure when we were going to get to play again. <laughs> you know, the 2008 World Series is very uh, special to me because although I was a uh, you know a journalist at the time, I mean, I grew up uh, you know as a Philadelphia fan. You know, grew up outside Philly, and and um, and so you know, being able to cover them winning was was great. I don't get into it too much though in this book. I, I did a lot on the. 08, um, the end of the 08 series in my last book about pitching, because I went really deep with Brad Lidge, um, 
you know, about that that final slider that he threw to Eric Hinsky. So I didn't really want to overdo it. I give the Phillies their due, though, with a lot of stuff about 80 and a lot of stuff about 83 and 93. Um, and 83 is the one that gets overlooked. You know, 83 is the one that uh, that I went to as my first uh, World Series game. I was eight years old, and on a Saturday afternoon at the Vet, they lost, and they lost the next day when I was there, too. Um to lose the series, but that really is the impetus for all of this. You know, that, that, that magic feeling that you get as a fan, um, you know, when your team is the last team playing and it's at your ballpark, you know, and, and, and everybody's watching your guys. Um, and I just remember that feeling. I remember Mike Schmidt being so sort of helpless in, in that series. He was one for 20 and he was the stud. I mean, he was the man. And, um, and he talked to me really openly and frankly about, um, you know how in '80 he was the MVP and he was locked in mentally, and then by '83 he was just uh, he was a mess. He was a he was a nervous. Uh, you know he really let the the pressure get to him. So he was he w- that was really cool to hear one of the all time greats um, talk about the times when he when he was locked in and the times when when he really wasn't. All right, we're going to talk about the postseason. We're also talk about some icons that are walking away. Of course, that's Tyler Kepner, New York Times bestselling author, new book coming out calling uh, called "The Grandest Stage." Of course, Brett Boone, the host of this podcast, and I've taken over today, pinch hitting from Rich Rare from CBS Sports Radio. So let's get into it, guys. As the season ends up uh, finishing this week, uh, two icons walking away from the game, and if you guys just go rapid fire, uh, let's talk a little bit about Tony Larusa. And his mark on the game as he steps away from managing the Chicago White Sox, they never say you can go home again, but he did. And then, of course, the great Albert Pujols, who captures everybody's imagination as he continues to walk out the door, hitting home run after home run after home run. So, Booney, let's start with you. Talk to me about Tony Larusa. Tony LaRusso, and I was a big advocate of his a couple years ago when he was brought back into the fold uh, with the White Sox. Uh, You know, obviously, he's getting a little bit older. He's kind of been there and done everything in the game, but there was a lot of hesitancy when bringing him back. Oh, he's not. He's not. He won't understand these new players, Uh, you know, yada, 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 down that down that kind of alley. And and I, I had a talk with him. I had him on the podcast. We talked about it. He said, Brett, I've got to open my mind. It's not 1989 anymore. And I'm not going to manage these guys like it's 1989. I, I see the same thing with a Buck Showalter. Buck was was kind of that hard-nosed, old-school guy. But I'll guarantee you this year with the Mets, uh, he, he's kind of he's kind of bending and, and taking in this new culture in 2022. The great ones always do that. And and I knew that – I knew that uh, – he was going to be doing that with the White Sox. Uh, what a career. Hall of Famer. I uh, hated to see it end this way. The Chicago White Sox, who were so favored in that in that central division this year, just didn't play very well. Tony was ridiculed quite a bit. He made a, a couple uh, a couple points that I, I think deserve being critiqued the way they were. But, uh, you know, to step away for health reasons, um, you know, it's a little sad for it to end that way, but I don't think it's going to tarnish what he's done in this game. He's one of the true great managers of the game. And, uh, you know, I wish him nothing but the best because he's, he's done a lot of good for this game. Tyler. Tony LaRussa is one of those guys who I really feel privileged to have gotten to know. Um, I've gotten to know him really well. Um, I consider him, uh, one of the people I'm actually closest to in, in baseball. And, um, I think I, you know, I always would go in to his, his office and just try to learn, you know, try to try to ask why, you know, why, why he did this move, why he's batting the pitcher eighth when nobody else was doing it, um, you know, why he why he thought the way he did. And he really appreciated that. He really he really loved it when you took the time to um, to learn from from him and to, you know, kind of not just assume that you knew what he was thinking. Um, He, I think I really connected with him best though um, in the, in the 2011 world series Um, before game one, I, you know, I went up to him and I told him, I said, Tony, I've noticed this about you in the world series. And I want to, I want to see if, if, if this is, if this is accurate. And he said, he said, what? And I said, well, when I was 13, I was watching the 88 world series you guys are losing. It's a really tough series. He expected to do a lot better. One out to go in the top of the ninth inning. Dodgers are up. You bring in a pitcher named Todd Burns for one out, 
and you hadn't used him at all in the series. He was a rookie. It's kind of last guy in the bullpen. And I talked to Todd Burns that day and he said that he always, it always meant so much to him that you cared enough just to get him one batter. A lot of managers don't. A lot of managers will leave that extra guy in the bullpen. They won't think about getting everybody in at a time when you're really trying to, you know, uh, you know, win a championship. And Tony really perked up and he was, he was sort of happy that I had, had noticed that. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, I, I look at these guys as, as I, I preach family to these guys and I feel like there's an intangible benefit to a guy maybe the next year to know that, you know what, you took, you valued him enough to give him a piece of this, of this series. You know, he could say that for the rest of his life. You know, I played in the world series. Um, and I just thought that the humanity that he showed in that, and it shows up in all of his series, you know, a lot of guys got just one at bat or one inning pitch or something like that. Um, and I felt like that said a lot because he's seen as this tactician, as this guy who's, you know, smarter than everybody. Um, but he really has a heart. And I think when you talk to his players and the people who know him best, um, they'll talk about that sincerity and how he was always thinking of every little angle, including the human side. So um, I'm a big Tony LaRusso fan. It took a lot of courage to come back after being in the Hall of Fame, risking a, an ending like this, um, which was not glorious. Um, he looked a little overmatched at times. And the White Sox certainly underachieved. Um, he could have gone out as a champion like he did with the Cardinals, but he took a risk and he got one division out of it. And then the second year that, that didn't work, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he is the second winningest manager of all time. And, uh, you know, truly one of the giants of the game. Let's talk about Albert Pujols, who's stepping away as well as, uh, as he ends his career and he catches uh, late life in his career and goes out uh, about the best way that you possibly can. Uh, Tyler, reflect on, on Albert Pujols for me. Well, I thought for, for a long time that Albert, Albert's legacy was really tarnished, um, to be honest, by those years in Anaheim. Um, the fact that he, you know, he, he went somewhere for a, an amazing contract that nobody would have turned down. Um, but it, it just, it was like, as soon as he went there, he lost, you know, all the, everything that was special about him. Um, he, he never produced like he did with the Cardinals. Um, it never seemed like a good fit. They didn't win. Um, he was going to be a first ballot hall of famer, no matter what he had the, uh, you know, because of those years in Anaheim, he was able to, to, to compile a lot of all time numbers and the greatness came in St. Louis, but for him to have this kind of career capper um, is just, it, it, it changes the whole story. It changes the whole memory of Albert historically. Um, he went back to, to where it all began, where it, where it made the most sense for him to be. And it wasn't just as a token. It was as a guy who went crazy in the second half of his final season. Um, his stats are, are astounding for somebody his age with his sort of struggles um, the last several years. And he, he really helped lead the Cardinals to another division title. It's, a, it's an incredible way to go out. It leaves you not necessarily wanting more, but it leaves you with a, a positive, good feeling about this guy's career. And he was great enough, and he deserves that. Booney. Yeah, I think Tyler put it best where it really has uh, changed any negativity towards Al- Albert Pujols. And what he's done in the last two months is, first of all, unbelievable for an ex-player watching a 42-year-old man out there doing what he's doing. No one ever thought he was going to get to 700 home runs. No one ever thought he was going to be passing uh, Babe Ruth in the RBI category. Uh, But he's done just that. He's doing it in St. Louis, where it all started, where all the magic started. I remember in 2001, Albert was a rookie. And uh, he went on, we have a Nike trip and, and they usually invite 10 and, and your spouse or significant other on the trip. And it was Albert's first trip. And he came, he, he came on and, and I just remember interacting with Albert, the rookie. 
And I remember him, you know, me giving him a tough time and say, Albert, you know, I need to get my, my golf bag on the golf cart. My golf bag's over there. And Albert would go, Booney, I got it. He'd run over and he's such a big man. He'd pick up my golf bag. He'd make it look like a, a kitty golf bag and he'd load it up on the cart for me because in, in those times, that's what rookies did for the veterans. Uh, it was all in good fun. But I remember the players on that trip and, and you're on those trips with, you know, Griffey and, and guys of that likeness. And I remember just the whispers behind the scenes when Albert wasn't around about the veteran guys talking about how good this kid was and how good he was going to be. Well, I don't think he disappointed uh, the first 10 years in, in St. Louis, arguably the greatest first 10 years of anybody to ever play this game offensively career. Uh, I went to Anaheim as, as Tyler touched on and, and it, the magic wasn't the same. Still, the numbers were all-star caliber, but he just wasn't that Albert that he was at St. Louis to turn that all around, to go back there at the end. You know, he went to the Dodgers briefly. Uh, that didn't really work out great. He ended up going back to St. Louis and what he's doing now, uh, I'm, I'm just really happy for him to, to end this way. Historic career. I mean, Albert, you got to talk about Albert now and top five, maybe even top four all time greatest offensive players in the game. And to see him doing that, uh, it, it really a cool thing for me. It, it really is to watch him go out in the way he did uh, this season. And, and he's so beloved in St. Louis. And by the way, both Tony and Albert have been on the Boone podcast, so if you want to look through, uh, we have those episodes posted as well. All right, guys, let's talk about postseason awards. I'm just going to go two of them, if you don't mind. Uh, let's talk about the American League Most Valuable Player. Tyler, I want to start with you. Um, I think it looks down to, to two names. I'll throw out at you. Shohei Otani versus uh, Judge. What do you think? Well, it really could be Otani every year. I mean, let's face it, he's the best player in the world. Um He's two superstars in one, the first guy ever to qualify for both the ERA title and the batting title. Uh, he did it all. But I feel like we're ta- if, we're, if we're talking about historic achievements and things that really define the 2022 season, uh, Aaron Judge uh, gets the award for me. I think it would look historically odd to have Judge have the season he did to to you know, set the all-time record for home runs by an American League. Remember, this is an American League award, American League uh, MVP. Um, to set that league's home run record and significantly to be so much better than the rest of the league. Um, the way he has, has just completely um, lapped the field in, in all the big categories uh, just sets him apart. And, and, and he, yes, he didn't pitch, obviously, but... He was a, a well-rounded player. This isn't like a, a slugger hitting two two thirty um, and 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 not getting on base and not you know playing. Let's say playing DH. He contributed in center field a lot. Um, uh, he was excellent uh, on defense, base running, leadership. He kept the Yankees afloat when they were really slumping. He contended for the triple crown. All of it. Um, it took a historic season for me to consider anybody but Otani and judge pulled it off. Brett Boone, what do you think? What do I think? You know, this, this is a a great debate and that's why baseball is so great because you can talk about this and you can debate it and there's great points and there's great counterpoints. Uh, Aaron judge, he hit three eleven. He's second and he almost won the batting title. He almost won the triple crown, which in the modern era is, is something is essentially that doesn't exist anymore. Um, he led the league in on base percentage, homers, uh, runs, RBIs, unbelievable. Uh, he was the story, and and I think he did. He handled himself with such class in that Yankee uniform on the big stage every day. Uh, the way he, he should write a course on PR 101, that's how you do it. Uh, all props in the world to judge for that. And But for me, and I was just having this debate with my son, uh, and, and he took, he took uh, Tyler's position. I think... I don't know. I watch Otani. I was just up at a game recently. I, I mean, he took a no hitter into the eighth inning the other night. Uh, and he and he hits home runs and he and he pitches shutouts. He steals bases. This guy had 582 at bats this year. He hit 273 with 34 homers and 95 RBIs. He went 15 and nine with a 233, which was six in the league. He punched out 219 hitters. 
pitched 161 innings. I don't care if judge for me, and that's why this is great. It's a debate. Judge could have hit 80 home runs. And to me, it doesn't matter. Maybe 20 years ago when I was playing, because back then the, 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 the criteria was, well, you kind of have to lead your, season, your, your team to the postseason. The modern era hasn't been that. Mike Trout's won several MVP awards, and they haven't sniffed the postseason. So with the current criteria, and I just look at Otani, the fact that Judge probably had the greatest year in the last 15, 20 years in Major League Baseball on the offensive side, nobody in the history of the game has ever done what Otani's done. Not only that, they've never even come close to doing what Otani's done. I think I'm in awe every day watching him. I, do, I, I would hate to be out there signing him in the free agent. I just don't know. I'm so scared because I know how hard it is to just perform on one side of the ball and how much, uh, how much work goes into being a hitter, being a defender. I couldn't imagine on the side. And by the way, I got my bullpen to throw today and I need to do my arm exercise, my job exercises for my next start in two days. I don't know how much longer you can keep that up. It's something special. It's something we're lucky to be seeing. It's almost like I want to wrap him in bubble wrap to have him around doing it on both sides as long as we can, because this is special. So I'm going against it. I, I might be in the minority this year. Nothing negative to say. Not How can you about Aaron Judge? But I'm going to give the MVP to Otani. Tyler, isn't it ironic as you get ready to release this book, The Grandest Stage, one of the the people that graced that grand stage was Babe Ruth. And we're talking about two players in 2022 that we're comparing to a guy that played 100 years ago. And that's the kind of greatness that he had on that grandest stage. When you talk about Otani, the only comparable that we have is Babe Ruth, Judge, it's a direct comparable to Babe Ruth. It really is amazing. I mean, you know, that, that we have this season where, you know, Judge becomes only the third player to hit 60 home runs in the American League, and, and that, that 60 home run is, is Babe Ruth's, um, you know, Babe Ruth was the first to do it at a time when people were not hitting home runs. And then we get Otani, who's done something the Babers never did in terms of pitching and hitting at, 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 with this volume in the same year. Um, but he's he's the closest thing to Babe Ruth since Babe Ruth. So um, when you're talking about Babe Ruth, that, that's that's somebody who transcends baseball. Um, really, one of the icons of American life. So it's it's pretty incredible. And you know what? I mean, whichever guy wins the MVP is going to be one of the greatest MVPs ever, you know, one of the best MVP seasons ever. Um, and whoever doesn't will probably be the greatest runner up in, in MVP history. So uh, it's, it's, it's a heck of a race. And, and, and although I, I'd like to see judge win it, um, you really can't go wrong either way. Okay. Real quick. Uh, National league MVP. Uh, I'll give you guys each 30 seconds. Go. Uh, we'll start with, uh, with you, Tyler. Uh, I'm going to say Paul Goldschmidt. I know his second half wasn't um, as great as his first, but he did everything for the Cardinals. Uh, he's one of those guys who's – it's sort of amazing. He hasn't won it. He's been runner-up a couple times. Um, but to lead the league in slugging, uh, lead the league in OPS, um, you know, it hit – well, what did he hit? Well over 300, 317 or so. Um, he's, he's, he's my guy. Great defense, too. Booney. I'm going to I'm going to concur. I'm going to go with Goldschmidt. I thought I thought Goldschmidt the way he single-handedly got that Cardinals into the postseason a year ago. I thought she'd, he should have won it last year. Uh but definitely I'm going to give it to him this year and I'd say uh honorable mention uh Freeman over there in LA. Okay. Uh I'll, we'll both go very quickly. American League Cy Young, National League Cy Young. Tyler, who do you got? I got Justin Furlander, um, 18 and four, 175 innings, 101.75 ERA. Um, he was fabulous. He missed a little time with an injury, um, but he still worked deeper into his starts than than other people did who might have had a little more innings. Um, he's had years where he he was the guy with the volume, and someone with with fewer innings won it, like the Blake Snell year. Um, this is Verlander's year. I think it's not going to be close. And as far as the National League goes. Um, the comparable to him is really like Julio Arias, who was fantastic, but I've got to go with Sandy Alcantara. I mean, Sandy Alcantara, 228 innings in this day and age is is outrageous. I know he feasted on the Nationals, um, but you know what? Those games are on the schedule. They count. 
Um, Sandy was a way he, he found a way to be a, a, an efficient power pitcher um, and to pitch almost 230 innings in this day and age and to have a 228 ERA is pretty remarkable. So he, he gets the nod for me. Booney. Uh, I'm going to go right on top of him. I, I don't think there's even an argument in, in the AL. I think Verlander, and especially he's doing it at 39, 18-4 with a 175. You know what's amazing? He had a 1.75 with 175 innings. And go over to the National League, I'm going to go with Tyler as well, Alcantara. He had a 228 with 228 innings. He also let the- it's unbelievable. He led the league in starts with 32. Is 14 and nine. A little unknown because you're not watching Miami that often. But when it broke it down, uh, I, I'm a. And by the way, I am a huge Urias fan. Uh, back when I was with the A's, I watched him in A ball when he was just turning 18 years old. And I remember uh, turning to the manager. I think we we're in San Bernardino, and I said, "Who is that kid out there?" And they said, "He's 17 years old." I said. That's the best pitcher in the minor leagues I've seen at any level this year. And that was Urias. And to, to see him doing that, I always I always remember that time. And I said, that guy's going to be great. So I'm kind of a fan of Urias. Uh, what he's doing is, is unbelievable in L.A., but I'm going to go with El Contra as well. How interesting is that, Tyler? Because uh, everybody and their brother saw him. And how hard did everyone try to make a deal to get him at the lowest level of the minor leagues, trying to get a Andrew Friedman to give him up? Yep, Dodgers knew what they had. Uh, that's one thing the Dodgers have done really well is is they've managed to make a lot of big deals um, without giving up the the jewels of their system. They've had a lot of great um, homegrown players, and they've held on to the right ones. All right, that's going to segue into our next segment. So I wanted to talk about all the teams that are in the postseason this year. So I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, I hope our friends at the Boone Podcast Northern Edition, Northern Office, appreciate this, Booney. But we're going to play a little postseason roulette. So I've got the wheel here, and I've got every team in the National League. i got the Dodgers, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Padres, the Mets, and the Phillies. I'm going to give you each $500 to put on is whatever square you want. If you want to put all $500 in the Dodgers, explain to me why you like the Dodgers and what you don't like about everybody else. You want to put half your money on the Braves? Go ahead. So you've got $500. You can spend it any way you want on the National League. Brett, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right, so you got $500. Who are you going to, give, who are you going to put money on? <clears throat> all right. NL, I'm going to put $250 on the Dodgers. They just won 111 games. They've been... I don't even think it's arguable. Uh, I think the last six or seven years, of the, they're the class of baseball. Uh, they top that off with a 111-win season. Uh, they, they, they do everything. They're deep. Uh, their offense is tremendous. Um, their pitching is tremendous. The bullpen is tremendous. They're just they're as good as it gets. Second, I'm going to put the Braves. I'm going to put 150 bucks on the Braves. I see something in that Braves team. They got that magic. A year ago, they won it all. I never suspected that. What they did to the Mets in the final series of the season to essentially give away that division, they they went out and beat DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett on consecutive nights to take the division away from the Mets. That's about as impressive as it gets, and I wouldn't want to be playing the Braves with that kind of momentum going into the postseason. I'm going to put 150 bucks on them. I'm still not giving up on my Mets because the closest thing I can – I can remember to 2001 that Schilling Randy Johnson combo is a potential DeGrom Scherzer combo uh, to go into a big series to a seven game set having to face those guys four times as a hitter uh, that's no fun so I'm going to put a hundred bucks on Mets so 250 Dodgers 150 Braves 100 on the Mets so what about the Cardinals the Padres and the Phils no they're they're going to play it out. That's why we play the games. But uh, my money's not going on those those latter teams. All right, Tyler, what do you got in the National League with your five hundred dollars? Well, I'm pretty close to Booney, but um, I'm going to go a little bit less on that. I'm going to go two twenty five on the Dodgers, uh, one seventy five on the Braves. So that gets me four hundred out of my five hundred um, with those two teams. But you know, if you're in this tournament, you got a chance, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna give the last hundred. I'm gonna split it between those uh, those four teams in the wild card races or in the wild card um, series, and I'll go fifty to the Mets, thirty five to the Cardinals, ten to the Padres, five to the Phillies. Um, you know, I, the Phillies uh, Phillies can 
maybe I should give them a little more. You know what? Because I think they could knock off the Cardinals. So let me switch that around a little bit. Um, I'm going to give the Cardinals 25 and the Phillies 15. Um, so yeah, because I think I do think the Phillies can beat that can be can beat the Cardinals. I, I got to favor the Cardinals in that series, but Phillies certainly can. Um, and if, if you're if, if I'm having them possibly get out of that first round, I don't think San Diego has much of a shot to get past the Mets. I mean, the Mets are 100, you know, 101 win team. I mean, they're a very good team. So um, I'll give them 50. But yeah, 225, 175, 50 for the Mets, 25 for St. Louis, 15 for Philadelphia, 10 for San Diego. The Mets are the intriguing one for me, guys. Let's go down the rabbit hole just a little bit. We know what the Dodgers could do. They they didn't have 116 wins, Brett, but the wins they had was pretty significant. We've seen the Braves come on like gangbusters at the end of the season. That's why both of you had uh, the second amount uh, wagered on them. Uh, the Cardinals just kind of went through the National League Central. People just kind of saw them as just the Cardinals and their steady Eddie every year. Padres finally make it uh, with the wild card, so they're celebrating uh, down in the gas lamp. Phillies kind of get in there at the last minute beating out the Brewers. But the Mets are the one that if we would have done this a month ago, would you have both put $150, Tyler, in your case, on the Mets, or would you have gone deeper? Well, I put 50 on the Mets. Yeah, 50 on so, the Mets. Brett put 100. Yeah, would I have put 150 on the Mets? Would you, would you, have, put, would you have wagered more on the Mets 30 days ago? Uh, maybe, but, uh, you know, but I, I think what we've seen from the Braves is just, uh, you know, just too much to ignore. I mean, what they did against the Mets and, and – Really, what they've done since the start of June—they're um, just so deep. That bullpen's great. Um, I don't know. I might, I might have gone Braves uh, even if the Mets hadn't had hung on to win the division. Booney, you were on a team. I mentioned uh, your Seattle Mariners, where you just crushed everybody all season long, and then you run into the postseason. Uh, talk to me about the Dodgers because they haven't had any pressure on them. They ran away with that division. It seems like before spring training even got started. What advice will you give to the Dodgers who ran away with this thing and, and have been in cruise control since probably opening day? Well, I, I don't think the Dodgers really need my advice. It's been that core group of, of players, and they've been doing it, like I said, five, six, seven years. They've been the best team in baseball. They've only got one championship, but they have been the best team. I think they've learned uh, at this point. You know, and you notice this year, you know, there was a lot of hype for a lot of different teams. But really, nobody said much about the Dodgers. It's kind of expected at this point. Like, oh, yeah, 111 wins, no big deal. Well, it, that's a huge deal. But I think the Dodgers have the poise. I think they have those veterans on that team, been there, done that before. I think they're they're primed, and they know how to approach this postseason. They've been there a lot. They've been there every year. And now all of a sudden – they're kind of elder statesmen. They kind of get it. Like, yeah, nobody really pays attention because we're so good. And I think I think they have the mindset and they know how to get ready for that postseason. Once you do it so many years, those early teams for the Mariners, uh, we were so good, but we weren't getting to the postseason every year like this Dodger team is. The fact that they have this kind of experience, I don't think they need any advice at all. Tyler, any thoughts? Yeah, I think the Dodgers are, uh, you know, one of these uh, stories that we kind of take for granted. I mean, I'm working on a story about them right now, actually, um, to try to counter that. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they 111 wins. I mean, the Dodgers have been around for oh, they're a flagship franchise that's been an extraordinarily successful franchise. And they've never won 111 games. Very few teams have ever won 111 games anywhere. Um, and the way they have have. Um, changed over the years to, you know, from a, from a very platoon happy team to a team where you can pencil in the same eight guys, same nine guys every day. And you lead off with three of the just premier players in baseball with Betts, Freeman and Turner, all from teams that had eliminated the Dodgers in the postseason. Um, in previously, you know, 18 uh, Mookie did it. Uh, 19 Trey Turner did it. 21 Freeman did it. They went and they poached the best players from the teams that beat them. Um, and so they've got the offense going and the pitching, it seems like no matter who gets hurt, um, they find guys to to step in and their stars have played like stars. And I'm talking about Kershaw and Arias. Um, and they've got, they, they are very well positioned, I think, innings wise to, to run the table here with a lot of deep arms. So um, yeah, Dodgers uh, can't say enough about 
how uh, impressive they've been. All right, fellas, if you're ready, let's jump over to the other roulette table. I've got this one set up for the American League. I've got the Astros, the Yankees, uh, the Guardians, the Rays, the M's, and the J's. Uh, Tyler, I'll let you go first. How are you going to lay out your $500 in this roulette wheel? Well, I think Houston is is, is really, really good. Um, I think, I mean, the Dodgers, I think, are the best team overall, but I, I give Houston a slightly better chance um, just because I think, you know, Atlanta is a, a better you know, challenger maybe than anything the Astros face. Um, so I'll give the Astros half of it. I have the Astros two fifty, um, and then I go Yankees at one ten, um, Cleveland at fifty five. <laughs> this sounds calculated. This yeah, I know. He, this is why he's a best selling author, Brett. <laughs> well, right. I, I'm listening. I'm, I'm I, my ears are open. I'm learning. I got Toronto at forty, and. Seattle at 25 and then Tampa Bay at 20. So that comes out to 500. So again, uh, 250 for Houston and I'm splitting the other half with 110 for the Yankees, 55 for Cleveland, 400 for Toronto, 25 for the Mariners, 20 for Tampa Bay. All right, Brett, what do you got? Well, I'm not as uh, breakdown. Here's what I think. I think the national league, is right now is the class of baseball. It's just flat out better than the American League. There are several teams in the National League uh, that are really good. I think the American League kind of has, as the season's worn down, I think it's Houston and I think it's everybody else. Uh, so I'm going to go with Houston, I think is the class of the American League by far, and I'm going to go with 300 on them. Uh, second, Yankees. And for the Yankees, this is the best time for them because they have a break right now. They get that buy in the first round. The biggest thing for the Yankees is health. Uh, if they get all their guys healthy, they are deep and they are dangerous. Uh, this is going to be good for them to get some of their guys that are on the sidelines back in the lineup. This is a good break for them. They needed this before. You know, so it's it was essential that they won the division. So I'm going to put 100 on the Yankees. And then at the end, I'm gonna I'm gonna put fifty on my Mariners. I mean, I, I've been talking to some managers around baseball, and I'm always pumping the Mariners just because they're kind of my team. And I said, this Mariner team's really good. I've had several managers say, really good. No, Brett, they're really good. They've been as impressed as I've been at that pitching staff, that that starting five and that bullpen. A bunch of different guys doing it a bunch of different ways, but getting it done. Seattle's starting to rock again. They've got the the young Rodriguez, who's kind of the heartbeat of that team. Uh, I think they've got a chance. And and because the Mariners haven't been to the postseason in 21 years, everybody, oh, it's just good to get there. I'd be really disappointed if the Mariners were one and done here. Uh, I think they have the ability, and, and especially with the American League being weaker, I, I think they have the ability to go deep into the postseason. I'd be disappointed if not. And I put $50 on Tampa just because they're Tampa and they're uh, a unicorn. And I don't know how they do it year after year with that budget, but they have. Uh, they got Glass now coming back uh, right at the end of the year to go ahead with McClanahan, Rasmussen, Springs. Uh, it's unbelievable. They've got a power bullpen. They don't hit much. you got a Rosarina with 20 home runs, the second most home runs on the team. I think Joy has 10. So they're not going to hit much, but the Rays have a way of doing it. They find their way into the postseason every year. I'm going to take a flyer on them with 50. So 300, Houston, 100 Yankees, 50 Mariners, 50 Tampa. Okay, i got two questions for you. Uh, we'll go with the Astros first. Tyler, I need you to reverse engineer this for me. Tell me why. And, I'm, and by the way, I'm not rooting against the Astros, so Astro fans, don't get mad at me. I love Dusty Baker, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. But Tyler, tell me why the Astros won't win. Why they won't win? Um, well, I'm not. It's a great question. I, I, you know, I always, I always say though that there's so much randomness that you know, if, if you have one team or the field. Uh, take the field, and and I'm I'm splitting the difference here because I got the Astros at, at half half the field. How will they not win? I think they have a couple of of, of soft spots in their lineup. Um, you know, Jeremy Pena did a nice job this year, 22 home runs. He doesn't get on base very much. Yuli Gurriel doesn't get on base base very much, and Maldonado doesn't get on base very much. So that's three guys, you know, with a with a sub 300 on base uh, and Trey Mancini was not very good since he went over there either. Um, and neither was Vasquez. Uh, so, you know, I, I think they might struggle a little bit, 
um, in that regard. But you love Alvarez, you love Tucker, um, Bregman, obviously Altuve. So they've got some star power. But I do think without Michael Brantley, um, there are some dead spots in that lineup. Um, that's not a nice way to say it, but there are some some weaker spots in that lineup. Um, I do think, though, that they'll overcome that because their pitching is is so dominant. All right, Brett, I'm going to put you on the spot. Tell me why the Yankees will win the pennant. Why will the Yankees win the pennant? Because Giancarlo Stanton, which is the whole key to that offense for me, I, I take at this point, I take Judge for granted. I take Rizzo. He's going to hit 225, but he's going to hit some big home runs for him. DJ LeMayhew's coming back. He's not healthy. I don't think we can expect a, a healthy LeMayhew. Matt Carpenter, Benintendi, with this break, have a chance to be back. Uh, Torres has had a good last month. For me, Nestor Cortez is my first game starter. I'm going to get him at the top of the rotation as much as I can. I know maybe politically that doesn't work in uh, in Yankee land, but uh, Severino's looked really promising to me. And in the bullpen, I had keys in, in the lineup. That key in the lineup is Stanton and his protection for Judge in that lineup. My key in the bullpen is how Holmes and Luizaga round into shape. Luizga hasn't been the guy that he was a year ago. Holmes hasn't been the, the guy that he was the first half of the season. For them to be successful, go deep into the postseason and win, those guys need to be healthy. All right, I'm Rich Rare from CBS Sports Radio. Of course, Brett Boone, the author of this podcast, and uh, New York Times writer, best-selling author, Tyler Kepner, joining us, and he has a new book called The Grandest Stage. So, Tyler, I've already decided you're, you're going to have to write a second, a volume two, of of your book that hasn't even come out yet because I'm intrigued by the whole thing. So when you have that second uh, printing and you have uh, uh, extras, you write a second volume of the grandest stage. Let's get the uh, let's get the crystal ball out and figure out who might be added onto the biggest biggest uh, stage in all of Major League Baseball by talking about who you think will win the pennant and who you eventually are predicting to be the World Series winner. So I'll let you go first. Tell me who you like. Uh, to win the American League pennant, the National League pennant, and then eventually the World Series? Well, I'd love to do something crazy and say that it's going to be, you know, the, the, the Padres and the, and, the, and the Mariners or something, um, the Battle of Peoria, or you know, the, <laughs> the Blue Jays and the Phillies, uh, you know, the 93 rematch or something, something wild. Uh, but I, I, you know what? I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to go. I mean, we just did this exercise, right? We put most, I put, you know, most of my money on Houston and the Dodgers. And unfortunately, that kind of brings us back to the whole sign stealing story. Um, there's still a few guys left on both sides. Um, so, you know, there, there are still some hard feelings there, even though the manager has changed and the GM has changed uh, in Houston. Um, but I think that's what we're going to see. And I think this time the Dodgers do get it. And, um, and, and get the championship and really just assert themselves as the dominant team of this era. Because if it is Dodgers Astros, you're looking at the two dominant teams um, of this, this generation. And it would be fitting for the Dodgers to have another crack at it after what they feel like was taken from them um, five years ago. It would be amazing if that were uh, the rematch and you have Dave Roberts who was there and then you've got, like I said, Dusty Baker, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, and having Dusty uh, have to take that on uh, head first because you know that people would come out and they'd show up with the trash cans. It would be interesting to see how Dusty would handle all of that. Yeah, it would. Um, you know, and, and, and it uh, again, it's sort of like I don't, in a way, I don't want to see it because I don't like, you know, having to revive that storyline. I feel like we've moved on from that. And I also don't like the idea of the Astros being like this team that just always loses the World Series, right? Like, like kind of like the Braves were. Like, they got one, but they also lost three in that time. And the Astros, as we know, have lost to the Nationals, and they've lost to the Braves. Um, so I kind of don't want to hang that on them. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that, that would be the heavyweight matchup, um, would be the Dodgers-Astros. And I think the games themselves, once we get past the storylines and stuff, I think the games themselves would be outstanding. All right, Booney, who do you got winning the pennant in the American League, the National League, and who's your World Series winner? Break out your crystal ball. Well, I got to go with the Dodgers. Uh, I think they're the 
best team. I, I'm I'm going to preface this with saying I'm probably completely wrong, and like I was last year when I when I picked the Braves to finish dead last in the playoff or let wheel, uh, and they end up winning the whole thing. So I'm probably going to be dead. I, I wasn't going to remind you of that. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to be dead wrong, but I'm yeah, going to go with the I'm going to go with the Dodgers. Uh, it's tough to go against an 111 win ball club. It just it just is, and it's so deep and it's so experienced that that starting rotation that bullpen uh for me that's going to be the nl pennant winner al pennant winner i can't waver either astros are just flat out the the class of the american league you know i'm going to be silently rooting for the yankees to catch fire and they're definitely capable of uh but i'm going to go with the astros to win the al and in that head-to-head matchup i think i just think the experience i just think that starting rotation's been there a little more i don't know I'm going to pick the Dodgers. Dodgers are the World Series champion 2022. I love it. Guys, thank you so much uh, for letting me do this. This has been a lot of fun. Don't forget Tyler's book's coming out. Pre-order it right now. The grandest stage, and I can't wait to read that excerpt about uh, Madison Bumgarner talking about his mental focus and uh, so many of the little stories that get lost. Tyler, sometimes I'll look through old box scores like, oh, man, I forgot that he played. I forgot that play. So I can't wait to read this. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it really it just gave me an outlet for a lot of the useless information that I have. You know, I can I, I can t- you can ask me any World Series game since 1979 and I can tell you immediately who star who the starting pitchers were and a little bit about the game itself. So I've got all this crazy, weird World Series knowledge uh, stuck in my head and it's never going away. So basically, I found 310 pages um to to get it out there so you'll see um my a little bit of my weird uh world series brain on display but i think you'll enjoy it because uh you know it's uh it's 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 something that uh i think a lot of baseball nerds like me um can relate to Boney, i love hanging out with him tyler's great Tyler's great. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, October 11th for the book. Rich, I'm taking my chair back. I want to thank Rich Herrera, CBS Sports, Tyler Kepner, the new book, uh, New York Times bestseller for celebrating this postseason show with me here on the Boone Podcast. Tyler, you know, I said, Tyler, wait a minute. I didn't even get, he didn't even walk out. He just gives me, he just gives me, he just pulls me out of the on-deck circle. He, I, I didn't even get a chance to talk to the manager. I didn't even get my walk-up music. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it, it's your first outing. I, we'll work on it. Dan, Dan will work, out, work on that for you. And, Rich, yes, sir. as we do, each and every Boone podcast, at the end of the podcast, we bring back the voice of the podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan? Thanks, guys, for having such a fun time <laughs> on this podcast. Can't wait to break down the postseason after it's all done. <laughs> That's the best you can do. That's your contribution. You guys Dan, are fantastic. I- That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.